1: It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. Brought to us by Bet Rivers. Big show today because a lot of stuff went down during the weekend. We wanted to be as fresh as possible here as baseball season has started. And, of course, the Sixers had a big game on Sunday night. And, of course, there was the NCAA Women's Tournament tonight. You got the Final Four. Uh, Monday night, Final Four, where it's going to be UConn against San Diego State. And everybody is uh, predicting a UConn blowout, but we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, in any event, uh, a couple things. Andrew Brandt will join us a little bit because we have some, uh, some interesting sports business things to talk about, including where football's going with Jalen Hurts, where the Eagles are going with Jalen Hurts and uh, also the new CBA uh, in the NBA. And, and just a, 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 a little tease for later in the week, we're going to have a Comedian's Day later this week. So you want to stand by for that. We're going to have the great Nikki Glazer on the show. Now, this could be an X-rated show. Well, not really X-rated, but a little risque. So I want to warn you now that maybe the show that we do later in the week you want to keep the kiddies away from it. Uh, and then we're also going to have comedian Jay Black uh, on the show. Uh, it's kind of an opener uh for Nikki. Uh, all right, so let's uh, get into some things to talk about today. Let, let's start off with the opening of the baseball season. Uh, and everybody's excited. The Phillies begin their season on the road in Texas against the Rangers. Now, the Rangers are a team that a lot of people are picking as a surprise team. They They added a lot. They spent a lot of money added a lot of free agents, and they brought Bruce Bochy out of retirement. So they're thinking they can do something down there. Now, I did not expect the Phillies that get slapped. And here, uh, listen, I'm not going to be an idiot and say three games make a season. Okay, they're 0-3, big deal. It's three of 162. Getting swept is not that big of a deal because you can very well go in the next series and sweep that series and get to 500 and start from there. The Phillies are a solid team. They're not going to fall off the planet here, so they're going to be fine. Uh, but, but a couple things that, uh, I, and I know it's early and I hate even going here, but both their starting pitchers did not look good. And uh, that's not really a, a big deal early in the season, I guess. But you know, like Aaron Nola melted down in the opener. We've seen that before. And, and it coincidentally comes in, in, in the space where the Phillies and Aaron Nola breaking off negotiations. Uh, maybe the Phillies are wary of committing to a long-term contract to Aaron Nola. I don't know what it is, but I expect he'll come back and pitch well. He always seems to have that that one meltdown where he hits a wall in a game. And, and that's problematic. But then he'll come back and he'll have a streak of really good games where he's totally consistent. So I don't know what to think of Aaron Nola right now. I told you that I was worried about Wheeler. Because Wheeler melted down a little bit last year. He's a power pitcher. And when power pitchers get older, they start to melt down a little bit. I don't know whether that's a sign of, 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 of wearing out and, and your career is, is hitting that kind of stage where you're not as powerful as before. But that's one of the concerns that I have. And right now the Phillies are trying to survive with their starting pitching. If their top two guys aren't delivering, then you're just crossing your fingers from that point on. Now they pitch Bailey Falter. It's funny. I have a full confession to make here. Because as you know, I don't like Bailey Falter. You know, I see Bailey Falter, and you know what I think of? I think I think of the ceremonial first pitch. That's the way I think he throws. <laughs> he's like he's like a ceremonial first pitch. Pitcher, right where where he's got nothing, but somehow he gets by with it occasionally because it's so off kilter, like it's so unpower like, and hitters are so jacked to face power that he nibbles and, and you know, nibble bibbles and, and he gets by. So he got by last night, and the Phillies' offense did not produce. But now you're talking about Taiwan Walker is next up, and then you got uh, Strom who's going to be your fifth starter. Now early in the season, that's not good if your top two starters aren't carrying their weight. However, overall, um, I don't think it's a problem. And I'm not going to sit here and sound an alarm. There's a lot of people on Twitter that are sounding, like, oh my God, what's going to happen to the Phillies this year? It's three freaking games. Now, if you watched the game last night, and I watched it, it's funny, I had a decision to make Sixers, Bucks, Phillies, Rangers. And this may be like, and I love basketball. But to me, it wasn't even a consideration. The Phillies game on Sunday night was more intriguing to me than basketball. So I had that as my main game on, and then I flipped back to basketball. And during the broadcast, they had uh, Bryce Harper in the dugout. And, and Bryce Harper put out a little quip in there last night about, uh, yeah, uh, players would like to see the, a lot of players would like to see to go uh, the save our game. And he was talking about the pitch clock. Because they asked him, well, what do you going to have to do to alter? Because he's the guy who's fidgety in the box. He steps out, he's at that routine, he taps the plate twice, and he taps his toe. And then he gets set, and he doesn't like it, right? Now, I'm going, this couldn't be more innovative for baseball to do. Everybody bitches and moans about baseball being too slow and boring, and they needed to do something to quicken the pace. And this was the perfect. Thing to do, and it's it shaved a half an hour off every game so far, which is a more delightful experience. You're in, you're out for the people that go there, for the people that are watching it. So, Bryce, like, you got to turn your calendar over, my friend. I love you, Philly fans love you. It's 2023, that pitch clock is a good thing. And I like star players shouldn't be able to fight it, star players should be able to freaking adapt. Seriously, like, this is going to cause that much of a, a, a wrinkle in your routine. To hit a baseball, climb in there. The guy's ready to throw. You'd be ready to hit. All right. So that was last night. Don't worry about the Phillies. Here's another thing that bugged me. Now, we met this young lady down there, and I think she does a great job. Uh, And she's a young reporter who covers the Phillies. Being a baseball beat writer is the toughest thing to do in journalism. I've said that consistently. And so we met a young lady, Darren and I. Darren producing the show. Alex Coffey covers the Phillies. And along with, with Scott Lauber. Uh, and, um, so really smart girls. by the way. That's a really tough environment. Smart girl, smart girl. And, and in tune. And I think she fell into a trap. It's a tough environment for her. too. And on Sunday, I pick up the, the inquiry. Well, I don't pick up the inquiry. I read it digitally. I used to have it delivered because it's part of my, part of my heart, newspapers. Uh, and I'm reading a game story. They, they gave up 16 runs in that game. And the tenor of the story was how they got robbed by the umpire. Now, C.B. Buckner stinks as an umpire. I get it. But please, you can't make that the focus of a story when you give up 16 runs. Because no matter how bad an umpire is, and people love to hate umpires. And I hate umpires. Believe me, when I tell you, I hate umpires. But you can't make the umpire responsible for you not getting the guy out. Okay, so he made a bad call and extended the inning. The pitcher... And the catcher and the fielders still have control about whether they get that next guy out. So if the umpire missed the call, get the next guy out and get off the freaking field. Especially when they gave up 11 runs the day before. That's even worse. Well, see, this is what I mean. Like, you can't give up 16 runs in a game and blame the umpires because they threw you off. I mean, and I'm shocked. I was shocked because if I'm in, like, when I did, newspapers and I people, Oh, you're going to go back to your old man, and get off your lawn. You know, there were editors that would throw that story right at the door. I can tell you right now that I turned in a story like that and blame the umpires because that was the focus of what the Phillies were saying and what the fans were saying. That's not the real story. The Real story is, yeah. Okay. He made some bad calls. The real story is you're pitching sucked and, and and they, they smash you all over the yard. So I, I was really as a, as a newspaper guy, journalist, I was really, I thought she fell into a trap. And Alex, listen, this is, not, this is not a personal. I'm just, this is my commenting on the game story. And I did tweet that out. So I'm trying to be honest about it. I, I, I can't stand when fans blame officials for their loss. I get it. Sometimes it happens. But most of the time, officiating calls will even out. And I think it's low hanging fruit to go, oh, they got Elm Park. Screwed us. That's why we lost. That's why we gave up 16 runs. Really? Come on. Let's move on. Last night, Sixers get hammered by Milwaukee. Uh, and uh, I'm reading a lot of tweets. In fact, I got a text from my friend. He goes, they can't win with Doc. And I go, they can't win because they're not good enough. They're not good. They're not better than Milwaukee. That's, that's the bottom line. Now, in a one-game situation, you can beat Milwaukee. And I've been saying it all along. The Sixers lack the power to beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series. And they might lack the power to beat Boston in a seven-game series. It's not Doc Rivers' fault. I'm looking at the Sixers, who the Sixers can can put in the game off the bench, who's viable enough to make a difference. And I don't see anybody. I, I'm sorry. I Listen, they tried. They tried to improve their bench, okay? They got the Anthony Melton. He was supposed to be coming off the bench. He's now got to play as a starter most of the time. They don't have a guy that they can rely on off the bench. Think about it. Who are we relying on that comes off the bench? You're not relying on Paul Reed. All right, he gives you effort. He has no idea how to play. You're not relying on Daniel House. I mean, he was buried on the bench. Furkan Korkmaz is buried on the bench. Sheik Milton has some moments. He gets back buried on the bench. George Niang. There is not a contender that has a George Niang coming off the bench to play a viable role. So. What's going to happen after this? Do they get beaten in the second round? They're going to have to beat Boston in the second round. Can they beat Boston? I don't know. But if they get eliminated in the second round, what's going to happen to the franchise? And that's the big question. Uh, Embiid's going to be here. So forget about restarting and, and moving Embiid and starting all over. You're not going to do that. Embiid is going to be here. James Harden probably will not. James Harden wants to go back to Houston. So now what are you going to do? Are you going to make a play for Damian Lillard? Can you make a good enough trade to get Damian Lillard to replace the Harden factor to still keep you viable? I don't know where they go. But don't worry, that Embiid is going to be here, okay? So it's just a matter of still trying to build around Embiid because you have no other choice. You're not going to break down this whole team. If you're the third best team in the best conference in the NBA, you're still in the picture. And it's just a matter of now – trying to figure out something to get you over the top. But this year, you failed because you don't have enough power players, enough difference-making players to beat a team like Milwaukee or Boston. And that's the sad truth of this whole thing.
1: It's the Mike Mussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest on the Mike Missanelli Podcast. And, of course, he is a frequent guest, and we love to have him because he can explain all the nuts and bolts of the of sports legalities, and there are many going on right now. So, uh, Andrew Brand, how you doing, first of all? Doing well, my friend. It was good to be with you. Good to be with you, and I know you just had a, a big forum down at, uh, at the Villanova Law School, and you do these every now and then, and this was very interesting because you had the gentleman of the Eagles, Howie Roseman, on as one of your panelists.
3: Yeah, Mike, you've been kind enough to come to my class, and every year I host this event in the first week of April. Um, going through all the topics of the year, getting as, you know, quality guests as we can get. I had Ross Tucker there. I had Justin Tuck from the Giants there. I had Carl Nassib, the first openly gay NFL player. Um, and then we closed it with a session, just me and Howie. Howie Roseman and I talked for about an hour up there and, you know, we went through his career. A lot of the students want to hear about it. Um, Talked about some of the challenges he has, how he's sort of peppered in veterans, even veterans he's bringing back this year with a young team and how to balance that. And all the things we know about building from within with the lines and what they saw in Jalen Hurts. A lot of stuff that came up he's talked about before, but I think he went in more depth. We had a great visit uh, last Friday.
0: All right, let's stay with that theme then because there's a couple lingering uh, Eagles issues that everybody's concerned about, all Eagle fans. Uh, let's start with with the cornerback situation and how it played out, and you being a former general manager could bring some insights on this. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I thought, was a very important keep for them, and so was Hargrave. They lost both of them. But the, 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 the mechanism of how they lost C.J. John- uh, Gardner-Johnson is really interesting to me. And then bringing Slay back into the mix when it looked like they were kind of like, you know, I've had enough of this guy <laughs> type of thing. So t- give me your insights on how that played out.
3: Well, let's talk about each of them individually. First, to get Gar out of the way, I thought of all the free agents on the market in 2023, that was number one. Now, we're taking away the quarterbacks on franchise tags, but I thought that was the number one free agent in the league. So it would have been hard to keep him. I'm surprised it was the Niners, but I'm not surprised he got $40 million over two, serious money. So I get that. Uh, they got they got money in Jordan Davis, I mean, an investment in draft and all that. Um, Gardner Johnson was interesting because, as you noted, this was curious. They sort of made an offer, but then they, we don't know if they made an offer. And he went for the one-year money in Detroit when it sounded like he had more long-term money in Philadelphia. But you know me, Mike. All that is spin. So I don't know who's telling the truth. If the Eagles were spinning back something to the media and the agent was telling the truth, where he had significantly more money, real money in Detroit. um, And that was it. You know, it just seemed like whatever happened with the Eagles' offer, it was bested by the Lions' offer in the way that the agent and player saw it. Now, the Eagles or whoever can spin it and make it look like he really should have taken the Eagles' deal. But I'm never going to question those because I don't know what the real truth is. If somehow he took a lesser deal in Detroit, then that's something to think about. What what went on in Philly? What's the problem? But to me, it looked like a, a money grab, um, and a better deal.
0: So let's uh, let's just look at it this way. Because one of the things that was reported, that was speculated, was that the Eagles could have matched the eight million that he got from Detroit. Uh, and they chose not to. Now, as a general manager, I know sometimes, uh, like, a guy wears that his welcome. You go, this is, just, you know, like, it, it's only it, it going to give us future agita if we bring this back. And that was because of all his activities in the off season, the way he was chirping, the, the whole bit. Does that come into play? Yeah, sure. I mean, you look
3: at the whole package, talent, character, and you, you said the word kind of uh, agita or maintenance, you know? You can deal with a lot of ad maintenance for superstars. You can deal with a lot. You almost have to in the world of sports and entertainment, entertainment especially. But for down-the-line players, I'm not saying he's a down-the-line player, but for the level under star, you don't deal with that. You just don't deal with that. So I think you're right. I think that was a decision where, you know, we're not going to match that. We're going to use our resources, and since then we've seen – resources used on some of these older players that we thought may have been out of here uh so now we see the plan and then the Slade deal you know i don't know what happened with slade seemed like he was telling the world he was out not the not the eagles
0: like he was yeah yeah well they clearly they made bradbury priority uh and and so um then all of a sudden, Slate climbs back in, and like it's funny how players sometimes react. They go, "You know what? The grass isn't greener. I really like my situation here." So we'll come back into the fold, and you're willing to do anything. And today, he puts out a, a you know, the, the history that he was almost signed by the Ravens. Like I don't know why he decides to do this kind of stuff. He had a, really didn't have a great year last year. So, uh, but I guess it's better to have both of them back than not because they're more important positions than a safety.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this is the theme with the Eagles now in 2023. There, you know, there was some speculation that they'd remove the old guard and just go with a new, fresh, young team, even a team poised to win it all again because of so much talent. But they haven't done that. They've maintained these players like Graham and Cox and Kelsey because they feel they're better off with them than with them, without them and with them with high salaries. Now, I know they've reduced salaries, but they're high salaries. You can get three young players for one of them. Uh, so that it's an interesting path by the Eagles. It reminds me of what they did years ago with Jason Peters. Because Jason Peters was ultimately, yeah, one-year stopgap, then another one-year stopgap, then another one-year stopgap. Uh, and they've decided that Better to hang on. Now, some teams, you know this, and probably my old team, Green Bay, they'd move on. They'd move on. They'd move on a year early rather than a year late. And, uh, you know, maybe Kelsey's in a different category. Even talking to Howie on Friday, I'm like, there is something special about this guy, just the way he talks about him. You know, the way he talks about him is so different than the way he talked about other players. But Cox and Graham, you can make arguments. You know, they're bringing up young players on the line, but... That's their choice, and Slay's in that category too.
0: We're talking to Andrew Brand, of course. Uh, Andrew, well known uh, throughout uh, football circles, been 25 years in professional sport uh, football in, in many different capacities. He's now the director of the Murad Center of Sports Law at Villanova University. He's got uh, the the MMQB that he contributes to. Uh, he's got his own newsletter, which I highly recommend that you subscribe to. It comes to your to your mailbox for free, and uh, he's always uh, talking about the interesting stuff w- on a weekly basis. So, so let's talk about now. If you stay with the NFL, the quarterback uh, money situation. Now, interestingly enough, a middle class has developed the Geno Smiths of the world. But it's funny that people say, "Well, look, it's 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 coming down a little bit. It's coming down in the in the respect that they're not going to guarantee all the money like the Sean Watson. They've held their guns on that, but still, the upper echelon guys." like Jalen Hurts, are going to be worth close to $50 million. So how do you see this landscape playing out right now?
3: Okay, let, let's save Hurts in that guarantee discussion because I think that's an important one. You're right. Uh, as we talked last time, I'm like, what's going to happen here? Because all we have are the rookie deals and the $40 million a year deals. And there were three ones I was watching, and one ended up being the $40 million a year deal. That's Daniel Jones. Who I'm, I'm really stunned what he got because I don't know what everyone thinks of Daniel Jones, but he's right up there with the top. He is right up there with the top echelon, and that's real money. I look at it over two years, eighty-four million over two, serious, serious money.
0: And you thought that was going to happen because I remember seeing you on on a yeah. some show that and somebody was trying to debate. Well, Daniel Jones, he's not worth that. And you go, well, this is what it's just the price now.
3: It is the price, and he worked it well. I mean. I just think of Daniel Jones a year ago. They hadn't excised the option. I'm like, what's this? This guy's going to fall out of the league? You know, and now he's the top five quarterback pay-wise. Um, you're right. Geno is kind of that middle class. Geno's deal was misreported, like 100 over three. You know, it's really about 25 to 27, and they can get out next year. Now, there's no, no shame in $25 million, especially for Geno Smith. But it tells me a couple of things. One, he didn't want to test the market. he probably couldn't do better than that. And number two, they're probably going to draft a quarterback at number five, and perfect situation. Geno Smith for a year at 25 million, and move on. Um, and the other one that I found really interesting was Garoppolo. Garoppolo had bidding. Uh, And we talk about Aaron, my friend, in a couple in a little later. But Aaron had one as one team. Garoppolo had two. He had the Texans. I knew that was serious, the Texans. And he chose the Raiders. And he's getting about, um, I think, you know, 27 a year. And that seems like it's real over two. So he's probably going to make, you know, 50 over two. So Garoppolo is that other middle class. And he probably fits right there. So we do have a middle class.
0: Okay, so now when we move on to to Jalen Hurts, I I don't know when the Eagles are going to act on this, but they're compelled to act. So uh, where do you see it going right now? I think you hinted at it earlier.
3: And this is, as a student and an expert on the business of football, I think Hurts, Burrow, and Herbert, which are up now, are the most important contracts in a long time because of the Watson – issue. Lamar's obviously been beaten back and brushed back on trying to get a fully secured deal. No one else has come close. Um, if these three, and I'm putting Hertz in this category with these other two, if they don't get fully secured deals, I think we're, we're doomed as players. I just think this is it. Like, if it doesn't happen for these three, we're going to look back, we're going to be on a podcast in 10 years, Mike, and we're going to say, yeah, Watson was a one-off. It was just a one-off. And so when I look at Hertz and Burrow and Herbert, I'm not going to look at so much the money. Sure, the money's going to be 40 or 45 or 50, but I'm going to look at the years and the guarantees. So maybe his real deal is going to be 140 over three, and then you look at all the all the fluff. And teams are smart. Howie's smart. He's gonna throw a ton of money at Hertz, say a 30, 40, 50 million dollar bonus for a guy that's supposed to make what a million dollars this year. And on the one hand, I can say if I'm Dalen Hertz's agent, I can't turn that down. On the other hand, I'm hurting the future generation, because if I don't get it with my leverage, no one's going to get it. And same with Burrow and Herbert. So we really reached a time where it just sucks for players cuz if if they don't jump on the watson precedent now i don't think it's ever going to happen so let
0: me so let me ask you this then what cuz the, the quarterback has become an indispensable position you kind of close your eyes and you and you jump off the cliff if you're an owner and that's the, how it played out with Sean watson why do you think they have found the strength to toe the line on this now
3: <laughs> well you you hint at the c word um You know, there's collusion legally, you and I are lawyers, and then there's collusion functionally. Legally, probably they don't have a case. There's probably no smoking gun saying, hey, guys, let's not guarantee like Watson, don't do it. There's probably no speech. There's no text. There's no email. There's no anything. But functionally, we all see it, right? We all see it that they're cursing Haslam. They don't want to do it. They don't like the precedent. They don't want to become baseball and basketball. And they're doing the smart thing, as they did with the the ones that have happened since then are Wilson and Murray. And they just threw a ton of money at these guys. And they took a one-year or two-year guarantee with the rest on the comp. I mean, both those guys may be cut next year. Wilson and Murray. Just showing you the strength of non-guaranteed contracts for teams. So, anyway, why?
0: Well... If the owners can do it, they'll do it. Okay. Right. So if you're representing Hertz and you alluded to it earlier, um, do you then take the chance of playing out the one year in hopes that the climate and you become so indispensable that the only way that you can get Jalen Hertz is with the full guarantee? You take that chance.
3: This is the real question, and his agent will they wait? I think they gain more leverage by waiting and everyone's going to bring up the injury, the injury, the injury. Well, we've got someone in our division that disproves that Dak Prescott had a massive injury in his contract year and got what I think is the best contract for a young quarterback out there. A four year, 160 deal. So (laughs) it's easy for me to say with you on a podcast, like I said, can they turn down what Howie's going to give them forty to fifty million in 2023, life-changing wealth, generational wealth, to get a more secure deal in a year when he'll be negotiating off a franchise tag, not negotiating off a million-dollar salary? Well, we'll see what happens. I, you know, uh,
0: I, I, I mean, if you
3: were hurts, Mike, could you wait?
0: You know. Uh, if I'm making that kind of money without the full guarantee, and most of it is guaranteed, I probably would would take the deal because it's so, you know, football is so uncertain, and it, your your future is in your hands on almost every play. So I I can't, no, I can't sneeze at 45 to 50 million a year, even though maybe three of those years would be guaranteed, and the rest would not be. So uh, we'll see what happens. So let's move on to the NBA and the new CBA, which came together after you know threats that it wasn't going to come together. Uh, what are the provisions that open your eyeballs on this one?
3: Yeah, as I told you off air, I, I haven't dug into it. I'm going to do that. It's going to be all of our class on Wednesday. Um, first of all, six years, or seven years, six-year opt-outs by each side. The length is positive for the owners. You know what the NFL did. They got their 10-year deal. Then they went to the TV and got $110 billion. They've now got their deal. They can go to TV and get, I don't know, $70 billion. Um, One thing that stands out to me for the players, a couple things. The increase allowable for an extension player has gone from 120% to 140%. That's a huge deal. and A couple players up for extensions like Jalen Brown and DeMontes Sabonis going to be an exceptional wealth increase for that. That's a big one.
0: Yeah. So to explain that to the people who don't understand the 120%, uh you, you have to increase you have to increase that salary the last salary you made by at least 120%, correct? according to the salary count. that was the
3: max. So if you're making 10, the most you could go to twelve. Now you can go to fourteen. So now it's 140%. And then you can imagine the jump offs after that and, and and the amount of accumulated wealth you increase with that provision. Um, the other, another provision that jumped out at me was, um, it's more technical for your listeners, but listen, there's, there's a cap in the NBA, right? But everyone goes over the cap because there's so many exceptions. There's so many ways to do it and we don't need to get into those, but we had a luxury tax at a certain level if you spend over the cap, but that wasn't stopping anyone. So, what the owners wanted was a hard cap, sort of a second luxury tax, but making it a hard cap. In other words, no way, no how ever could you go over that amount, right? So, again, let's just say the cap was 100, the luxury tax was 110, and the second tax was 120, where you're really in trouble. They wanted to make that 120 a real cap, hard cap, never go over it. They didn't get that, but what they got is if you approach that second tier, you can't A, sign a mid-level exception, B, make a trade for more salary than you're given out, C, uh, something else. Like all these penalties, if you hit that second tier, which again, teams like the Lakers, the Warriors, uh, the Nets, all above those. So... That was a little thing where you almost got a hard cap. But again, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say who really wants this. The owners of the Lakers and Warriors don't, but most owners did. So that's a win for the owners. Then there's things like you, if you're going to get these awards, you can't, you can't do the load management. If you're going to be all NBA, you got to play 65 games. Simple thing. It doesn't have a lot of financial impact, but it's like to deal with this load management issue. And there are little things in there that we'll dig into more later. But the best thing about it is it's done. It's a seven-year deal, and it gives labor certainty to the NBA.
0: Let me just uh, ask you about one thing about this because the it, 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 journalists ran with this as the main story that the uh, uh, you, the one and done is still is going to be preserved. You just, you still can't go to the, however, uh, like to me that's the, that's the phoniest thing I've ever, ever seen because. It, the one-year thing may or may not be overridden by the CBA, right? It's still a blatant violation of antitrust. And there has been case precedent that indicate that. So if anybody wanted to challenge that, they most likely would win. But why would you challenge it? Because you have now a couple options, which are the G League or the Euro League. And so it's it's not as important that you jump right to the NBA from from high school, uh, and, and if you wanted to fight it, it's going to take you a year to litigate it anyway, so you would have wasted that year. So they're pretty they, – I have to laugh because the, the owners are on safe ground when they put that in. Well, a couple
3: things. One, as you know from sports law, my class, we talk about this. There have been challenges. Uh, Leon Wood in the NBA and most recently Maurice Claret in the NFL, they both got shut down because they were part of the CBAs. Your union agreed to it. And speaking of that, What's in it for the union to change the rule to allow high school players? What's in it for the players that President C.J. McCollum, who the hell cares about college kids right? or high school kids? Yeah. Like if you're C.J. Yeah. McCollum or Chris Paul is on the board and LeBron, I think, is on the board. Like, why do you care? You know, why are we dealing with that? And the owners don't care. right? The owners aren't going to make a change. And this happens in every CBA, especially the NFL, which I covered the past 10 years. Screw the rookies. That's the easiest thing that the, the veteran players agree with that and the owners agree with that. So when you talk about the list of things on a CBA, that's the easy one.
0: Yep. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts on the uh, women's NCAA tournament and where that may go legally as far as TV rights and, and such?
3: Yeah, I I've, I've, I've bought in this, this March because of my Villanova women had a nice run. Uh, unfortunately lost to Miami in a tough loss. But, and I watched yesterday, you know, it's interesting, you know, I don't want to sound like a chauvinist, but some of these statements are a little over the top. These things are one-offs a lot, you know, Caitlin Clark's, you know, is that going to happen every year? Is, are these amazing ratings going to happen every year? So yes, it seems like there should be more input on the women's side based on their ratings, especially the final four and based on this extraordinary uh, final we had yesterday. But I don't know if that's a, if that's a trend.
0: I mean, I think you're probably right, but they need, they probably need to strike right now yeah. <laughs> when it's hottest, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I read yesterday was interesting is why not make the final four multi, both genders? Uh, what would be so bad about having it instead of Dallas and Houston, just one place, because you have a Friday night women and you have Saturday night men and you have Sunday women final and Monday, you know, I, I bet there are a lot of logistical arguments, but to me, that would put everyone on kind of a, an equal footing. So I don't see what would be wrong with
0: that. Andrew, it is always a, a pleasure to speak with you. And, um, uh, on Twitter, of course it is at Andrew Brandt, B R A N D T. Uh, and, and you got the, the the podcast that you do, uh, w- with, uh, uh, our good friend, who has been on this show, by the way, and, and he was, Ross Tucker was also a guest at your forum recently, correct?
3: Yeah, the podcast, and I'll try to release it, the Howie interview and or the Ross interview uh, from the symposium on the podcast, so the Business of Sports podcast. For the listeners, Mike mentioned the newsletter. You just go to andrew-brandt.com. It's free every Sunday morning, and you can sign up for my Sports Business League there too, which actually, uh, for a small price, <laughs> you get me uh, every day. Uh, and we, we meet every week. So we do that as well. And of course the Twitter and Instagram, I do reels, Andrew Brent to there. And then my column at, at, uh, MMQB and then, you know, and then I have a day job at Villanova.
0: Yeah. You're, you're a very busy man. Yes. Uh, and you still have time to do a uh, triathlons yeah. and such, which is uh fascinating me. Andrew, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. And we'll talk down the road. Always a pleasure, Mike.
1: It's the Mike Nessonelli podcast. On the Bet Rivers Network.
0: All right, now it's time for three questions from Mikey Misses, where producer Darren hits me with questions that I have not heard before. So these are uh, off the cuff responses, like what we used to do on the radio back in the heyday that everybody loves, that everybody misses, uh, which was called Sound Off. So let's roll, Darren. Three questions from Mikey Miss.
2: All right, Mike, uh, three questions today. I'm going to be real curious to see what your answers are. Okay, here we go. So the first question is, Mike, Caitlin Clark made a splash in the season. Who is the all-time female athlete? The number one, the GOAT of female athletes
0: in any sport. Whew, the GOAT of female athletes in any sport. Huh. Well, you know, I would probably go with Cheryl Miller. I uh, Sarah Miller was sensational. I mean, she broke barriers back then. She was like the the best women's basketball player to emerge uh in, do- in dominant form. And it's first really the one I can remember. Now I could go into track athletes cuz there's been just some amazing female track athletes. App- Serena You know what? I you're right. I will go with Serena Williams. I thought
2: Cheryl too, but Serena's the only
0: one. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking basketball because we were talking about it, but I, yeah, I'll definitely go uh, Serena. Uh, Williams as the number one female athlete of all time, with uh, uh, Cheryl Miller uh, second. And the, the track athletes like uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey and, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, fantastic Flo- uh, Florence Gifford Joyner. Like, yeah. you know, some of the great uh, track athletes, uh, you have to put in there as well.
2: No question. That's a great list right there. Okay, here we go. Phillies, the no, question number two. Phillies coming into the season, the over under on wins was 88.5. I think that's what it closed at. They're 0 uh, 3. Where you got them? Over or under eighty-eight and a half
0: wins? I have I, already predicted under. Um, uh, I, and it's not because they're not going to be good. I think by playoff time they'll be a really viable playoff team, and I think they'll be in the playoffs. But I believe that uh, you know this uh, this pitching early on, I think they're going to struggle, and that's I think they're going to limit their win total. So I, you know, I think they'll probably be right at eighty-seven, eighty-eight, somewhere near. But if, if I had to choose, 88-and-a-half 80, is just too good to be true to go over with How good the Phillies were last year. So again, I, I I I say those lines are telling me something. So I'll go on.
2: Okay, uh, that's question number two. Question number three, Mike. This is a real. This is a layup question for me. Tonight it's the men's basketball NCAA championship. San Diego State is catching seven and a half from UConn.
0: Who you got? Uh, I you know uh, this is the first time in a really long time I will not bet the game because I can't figure it out. And I go by the line telling me something theory. Seven and a half tells me UConn romps. but I've seen enough of San Diego State to know that they're tough and they keep it close. And so if if I had to make a bet, I would probably take the seven and a half. But I can't do it because that's against my credo and I never go against my credo. That line tells me UConn. But somehow that team is so gutty that they may keep it close. So that's a non-answer answer. answer. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
2: all right that's that's three questions for mikey this
0: all right let's close it out with my thought of the day you know i read the new york times a lot and they have a uh um, uh, a column called wire cutter where it's like a consumer column and they go and they uh they evaluate products and such and they tell you what best buys are and the performance of the particular uh uh, thing so uh, interestingly enough today was peanut butter and they ranked the best uh, consumer peanut butter, like the one you can get at a grocery store, as well as the you know the fancy natural peanut butters and the ones you get at Trader Joe. But uh, since everybody goes to the supermarket, um, this is the peanut butter that I select every time I'm there. And the winner was Skippy, Skippy Creamy, which nosed out Jif. I'm a Skippy man. And as people know me, there you you go. Darren is showing the Skippy. Skippy That's what I have in my house right here. The (laughs) Degitano family is a Skippy family. Now, as you know, I think that one of the reasons I choose Skippy maybe is not for the merits of the particular peanut butter because I call a lot of people Skippy. You know, it's my way of, like, uh, lashing back at a punk tweeter by calling him Skippy, it's almost like the scene that you can't see me, but in word form, where I go, no, 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 sorry, Skippy. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's how I demean. Wait a minute, you called me Skip. Does that mean that's a demeaning term? Well, you call me Skippy <laughs> as well. I don't know if that influenced my peanut butter choice or not, but it doesn't matter. I'm a Skippy man, and according to a Wire Cutter column, Skippy is the best commercial peanut butter you can buy at a grocery store. Well,
2: shop. the Degatano family agrees.
0: All right, that does it for today. <laughs> that does it for today's show. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Tell, tell your friends and neighbors about the Mike Misnelly Podcast. You subscribe for free. It comes to you every week. We do a couple a week. And uh, our next podcast coming up is the Comedian Podcast. And we'll have Nikki Glaser. That's right. My buddy, Nikki Glaser, who was a frequent guest on the Mike Misnelly Show on radio, uh, has agreed to come on the podcast. We will also have Comedian Jay Black. So we'll kick, uh, we'll kick it around. And, again, it may be a little risque. Nikki's risque. If you've seen her act,ive maybe so this is maybe not a podcast you listen to with your kids in the car, but damn, you should listen to it because you're probably going to laugh your ass off. All right? You can get me uh, on email, Mike at MikeMiss.com, or on Twitter, uh, MikeMiss25. We'd love to hear from you. And if you send me something extra compelling, I'll be sure to uh, put it on the podcast and uh, make you a star. All right, uh, everybody have a great Day, it's a beautiful day out there. Have a great rest of the week. We will see you later in the week with the Mike Missinelli podcast. This is Mike Miss, and I'm out.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.